Welcome in to another episode of We're Talking Today. Colin Lacey of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. How are you today, Colin? I'm good. How are you doing? I am good. You know, it's starting to warm up. It feels like spring and it's only December. And I know we've got some cold weather coming <laughs> and I'm going to be miserable when that hits. But uh, it's it, life's good, man. Can't complain. It's got to be warmer than it was in Boone this past weekend. I can tell you that much. Well, that's a... <laughs> yeah. I think the last time we played there, it was like 28 degrees with rain going sideways and our, our snapper, uh, put it over the punter's head two or three times. So, uh, no, no sympathy for you there. Yeah, it wasn't raining. I think I saw sunshine in App State for the first time in about 20 years, but it, uh, it was not warm to tell, say the very least. That was a day game. Was it not? Yeah. Two thirty. Okay, I think we all played about the same time. So I know some of these games that we're going to talk about, you probably didn't get to see much, if anything at all. Plus, you're traveling, so that means that you're going, you're not setting your equipment up the day before. You're getting there probably a little bit earlier than you normally would, uh, and you're probably uh, packing up and heading home right afterwards. So, but, um, well, good deal. We're, we're going to talk about that game last. Let's kind of jump in before we get started with the games so let's let's look at the standings the final standings with app state at seven and one and the cajuns at eight and zero. i don't think a big surprise there necessarily but at the same time was there let's look at the east first you know coastal six and two I, to me the big surprise is georgia state six and two because they were one of those teams that were kind of up and down and in between and who knows what um and I know it's our it's our favorite team to hate, but they came on strong at the end and did what they had to do. Yeah, and we talked about it a couple of times throughout the year that once they figured out who their quarterback was going to be, whether it's Darren Granger or Quad Brown, once they finally settled on Darren Granger, which was about a week before they came to Statesboro, that's when you really started to see them pick it up. And we thought they were going to be better at the beginning of the year. I thought Troy was going to be better at the beginning of the year. Um, so I kind of thought Troy was going to be three, State was going to be four, but kind of interchange those. But the record kind of surprises me for Georgia State. Yeah, I think that's the biggest surprise. I'm not surprised that they're three so much, but I am surprised that they're that they're six and two in conference play, seven five over. It's it's a game that I, I thought the refs took took away from them at Auburn that they that they could have won but their first two games of the year they looked really bad and looked like they were a team that was that was destined yeah. uh not for a train horn but a train wreck so um I know we all hate the train horn my god that is obnoxious yeah, poor Barry had to deal with the train horn this week oh really I remember seeing video of Barry Barry a couple years ago I guess it was when the train horn was going off and he was trying to talk so oh, God. Uh, <laughs> well better Barry than you are I will say that yeah except, no doubt except we'll both be traveling there next year so oh, don't remind me um well you know you mentioned Troy in there let's talk about Troy for a little second there any surprise that they fired their coach before the last game I mean not really, because there was a lot of noise when Georgia Southern went there in the middle of the year, whether if Troy lost that game, that Chip Lindsey would be done after the Georgia Southern game. They ended up pulling it out on a last-second field goal. 
and I think that bought Chip Lindsay a little bit more time of how they played in the second half especially. But I'm kind of surprised he made it to that point, to be honest with you. Um, it is kind of surprising once you got a couple of weeks past when they played Georgia Southern that you thought it, they were just going to ride it out till the end of the year. But I think when you started to see so many coaching openings and so many go ahead and sign their coach that I think you had administration over there kind of say, all right, we might need to jump on this a little bit. Well, the thing that I, I agree with you there totally. And when, when it first happened, I was like, I, I felt like it was a stupid move. Why not let him coach the last game? Why make the announcement? But then when you go through with all the coaching change, you're right. But is Troy going to draw one of those top-notch coaches, I guess, or, or candidates? I still think there's enough young guns out there as far as offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators at, 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 at schools that have been successful that you can grab from. But at the same time, how much, how much do you think the, the, the recruiting uh, played in effect also with, with the signing period being so close now to the end of the season? I think it did a little bit, and Georgia Southern's been able to see how much benefit it was naming Clay Helton, your head coach, four weeks still left in the regular season. He's gotten to jump on recruiting. He's gotten to be able to start to put together what – 2022 is going to look like for Georgia Southern and Russ Brown and I talked about it on our uh, post game show on Saturday after App State you're not just now starting your search for a coach naming him in a week two weeks whatever it might be then it's another week two weeks before you start to get coordinators and then another week two weeks and so you're six weeks down the line before you get your position coaches and you're well past the December 15th signing day now you're starting to get some staff trickle into Georgia Southern in the next week or two. Then you get your finalized staff. You may have a finalized staff before that December 15th signing day or close to it. And being able to have that, I think, is a huge leg up, especially with Georgia Southern right now sitting with Clay Helton, an offensive mind throughout his coaching career as the head coach. And then the only staff that he retained on the on-field staff is Kevin Whitley, an All-American cornerback here for Georgia Southern was a cornerback's coach before he was elevated to the interim head coach this past year after week four against Louisiana. And so having an offensive side, a defensive side, I think is a huge step up for Georgia Southern as you go towards that December 15th signing day. And I think that's what you see with Troy. You're starting to see the December 15th signing day mean a whole heck of a lot more than that February signing day that everybody was accustomed to before the December one came out a couple of years ago. And I think in the next couple of years, the February one is going to be kind of forgotten and you're going to have that December 15th BV signing day. You know, I, I'm not a fan. I mean, I thought I would be a fan of the early signing day, but now, now that we're looking for a head coach, I'm not so much of a fan of it anymore. Uh, because as you know, the Cajuns are, are going to be, uh, are having a coaching search here. So, uh, what do you see with Clay Helton, though? I mean, you, you mentioned offensive minded. Uh, so, will Georgia Southern will be changing their their uh, their their offense around? That's what it looks like. Um, he's run a couple of different offenses in his time. He's gone kind of the pro style. He's gone air raid. I think more of the pro style is what you're looking for. He's talked about it since he's got to Statesboro, looking for more of 60-40 split for a run to pass. And so it's going to 
increase the pass, and it's going to look a little bit different for Georgia Southern, but it's still going to be a heavy run offense, with the, especially with the running backs that Georgia Southern has. You've got the possibility of J.D. King coming back for another year of eligibility since he missed a good portion of this year with recovering from the knee injury. Gerald Green will be back. Logan Wright has the possibility to be back. And so with what you have on the running side, but I think you're going to see a heavy transfer portal influence of what Georgia Southern is next year. The transfer portal, it, it's something I hadn't thought about, but I'll get your opinion on it. Is do you think, do you see it as a good thing? I mean, I, I do. I mean, I, I, I hear people saying, well, you know, that's just for the big guys to take away uh, the little guys, you know, players. But at the same time, I can see the reverse of a guy, maybe not a, at an L at an Alabama or an LSU, but the possibility someone from uh, uh, a Georgia Tech maybe in Arkansas that's not getting playing time and able to transfer immediately can be an impact player. I like it when you couple it with the fact that you have one almost free transfer where you can come play immediately. I think if you have the normal deal where – once you transfer, if you're going D1 to D1, you have to sit out a year. I think that kind of pulls a little bit off of it. But with the one-time free transfer waiver, I think that really brings something of – and especially for a G5 team, I think that really helps because you're essentially turning it into the wild, wild west. At the end of the day, you can go wherever you want to, and then if you don't like it, you can turn around for whatever reason. And so you've seen guys – a J.D. King for Georgia Southern transferring in, and it wasn't – it was well before all the one-time free transfer waiver and all that came into play. But coming from Oklahoma State, and then he becomes one of the best running backs that Georgia Southern's seen in the last couple of years. App State did it with Chase Bryce. He goes from Clemson. He's behind Trevor Lawrence, transfers to Duke, plays at Duke, and then goes to Appalachian State, and he leads the Sunbelt Conference in passing. And so I think you've seen it a couple of times throughout the last few years where – a lot of times it does benefit the power five and the big boys, but it also, if you're smart about it, can really help you if you're a Georgia Southern, a Louisiana, especially if you're going through a coaching change. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going to happen uh, to the Cajuns quite honestly. Uh, I, I've got to believe that uh, I've got to believe a couple of things. I, I think it's someone that uh, no one's probably ever heard of. That doesn't mean that they're not a, uh, a power five offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator. I just don't think that uh, in most cases, you or I know a bunch of the uh, power five coordinators, unless, you know, Nick Saban's talking about them or we see him on TV, you know, type of deal. So it's going to be an interesting time. I think, uh, I think Dr. Maggart has did a great job giving Billy what he need, need, needed. And also, I think it, it made this job so much more attractive and show that you could win here and that we're willing to put the resources into it. So, No, and you've got to have that, especially at this level. If you're going to build into what a, a BYU, a Boise State, has turned into over the last few years, you've got to have the support from the top down. And from talking to you, talking to Jay, Dr. Maggard has done a fantastic job of and it's not where you can just throw everything in the kitchen sink at it. You've got to be smart with it. But I think Dr. Maggot has done a really good job of doing what you have to do to get to that next level, a lot like Appalachian State has done. Well, that and Dr. Maggot is great support from our, uh, our, our, 
our university president, Dr. Savoy, to do what he needs to do and, and provide provide those uh, resources for him to do it. So, but let's move on to this weekend's games. Uh, we'll start out um, with the, uh, <laughs> I think this was a Thursday night game, if I remember correctly. It seems like so long ago. Uh, oh, Coastal South Alabama, I mean, I mean, Coastal needed overtime. I mean, and it was a game that, you know, I think South Alabama was up until towards the end of the game. Did you get a chance to watch that? We watched it a little bit uh, while we were in the hotel in Boone. This is one that kind of surprised me because you look at what South Alabama has kind of struggled this year, and then you turn around and, oh, they're leading 10 nothing at half over Coastal, and that's with Grayson McCall playing for Coastal. And so it's – uh. It was interesting in the fact that it was South Alabama led until 39 seconds to play in the game. They led the entire way, and it took a touchdown with 39 seconds to tie the game up, and then Grace McCall with a touchdown in overtime. But and this is a game that South Alabama pretty much dominated until the last five minutes of the game. And so it, uh, it was definitely an eye-opener. But it's one that kind of shows the parity in this league where anybody can beat anybody and being able to have one of the supposedly the untouchable team at the beginning of the year in Coastal Carolina be taken to the wire and taken to overtime by South Alabama, who ends up not bowl eligible. You know, it's one of those things that I talked about with somebody else. It, it, it's, you know, we, we, we talked about uh, Dan Marino making the uh, Super Bowl his rookie year and then never seeing again. Did Coastal make a mistake by not playing that game last year? I mean, there's no telling when they might get back, quite honestly. I mean, App State still looks as strong. App State looks App State, you know. Uh, it, it's rough, in my opinion. Yeah, and with as much, and I'm sure you've got stuff behind a Grayson McCall behind a Silas Kelly, a Teddy Gallagher, Isaiah likely, but you've got the possibility of losing the five guys that everybody around the country has talked about. I know Grayson McCall can stay, but there's a lot of talk around him, especially if Jamie Chadwell exits the program to go to another opportunity. And we've talked about the coaching carousel that this offseason has turned into. If Chadwell leaves, I think Grayson McCall is no longer there at Coastal. And so then you're losing McCall, Isaiah Likely, Javon Hiley, Silas Kelly, Teddy Gallagher. That's what everybody has talked about the entirety of the time. And I know you have a really good offensive line. You've got a lot of other pieces around that. But for a Coastal Carolina team that kind of felt like last year was the year and then this year was really going to be the year when you got everybody back, I think it's a little bit of a disappointing year. And it's crazy to say a 10-2 and two year, 6-2 and two in conference yeah. play is a disappointing year. But I think this is kind of where the peak is. They're still going to be good because they've got the culture. They've got everything around that program. But I think this was the year to kind of take everything by storm and try to get to where a – not necessarily to where a Cincinnati is right now, but start to build towards that. Well, I just – I see very uh, – I maybe not similarities. I shouldn't say it that way. But teams like Northern Illinois that, you know, had the had their flash in the pan is – I mean – that could happen to Coastal, not saying it will, and it, it, quite frankly, it could happen to the Cajuns, but the, the last three years of the Cajuns have, have had three strong years, 
So, and uh, very disappointing that the game wasn't played last last year. Still, probably a little bit a bit bitter about it, but uh, no, <laughs> hard hard to say. Let's go back to South Alabama though. While while we had them up, are they are they this year's Texas State that we thought Texas State was on the brink of winning, and then Texas State, well, Texas State kind of came out and fell flat, but at the same time which I know is not a, a lot, but it still finished second in the Sunbelt West. I mean, three and five, I mean, don't get me wrong. They weren't anything to write home about. They're not bowl eligible. They're not going anywhere this postseason. But South Alabama had opportunities. They had opportunities to beat the Cajuns. They, they had opportunities to beat Coastal Carolina. They had their opportunities, I guess, is my point. Yeah, and I think this is – this year for South Alabama – is what Texas State was hoping for from the first year under Jake Spavitt all three years ago. You see the improvement because this is a South Alabama team that has really improved. I know they come up just sort from being bowl eligible, but this is this South Alabama team is a lot better than the South Alabama teams you've seen in years past. First year head coach Kane Womack has done a really good job of changing the culture. And when you can change the culture along with the on-field product on the same year, I think that really speaks volumes to what they're doing down in South Alabama. And I think this is a South Alabama team. Maybe not next year. You're going to see them improve next year. But I think in the next year or two, you're going to see them start to rival Louisiana for the Western Division again. It, it, it's – and I don't want to bring it up. I'm, I'm only bringing it up now because I want you to think about it. Uh, in January, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about what does Southern Miss, Marshall, Old Dominion bring into it and how does the league change schedule. I know we won't know. But let's talk about what we'd like to see, not just in football, but when it comes from you and I, I know it's how is it going to change for baseball you oh, know, yeah. type of deal. So uh, just something to t- think about. And, and I, I need to put some uh, pencil to paper or uh, open up some spreadsheets and see how we get to, especially in baseball and basketball, for that matter. It's going to be a very interesting change for the Sun Belt. So uh, I, I like it, but uh, going to be something to think about. So, uh, moving on, uh, a, a team that we just talked about, Texas State, finishing third. But Arkansas State, let's face it, Arkansas State was not a very good football team this year. But no. Texas State was able to squeak out a, a win um, at Arkansas State at, at, in Jonesboro. Um, any real – I mean, I don't know there's much you can say about the game because both teams – oh, my God, that can't be right, huh? Attendance, 3,116. I know there weren't a lot of people there, but, I mean, that's almost concession stand worker numbers there. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but, uh, no, I mean, I think this is a game that you've got two programs that are trying to rebuild and get on the right track. Texas State gets four wins for the first time in, I think, about 20 years at that program, and so – it's a step up for Texas State, but it's not quite the significant step that you thought you were going to see this year under Coach Spavadol. And I don't know if he's in trouble. I don't know if there's discussions being had, but I think if next year turns into this year again, I think you're definitely trying to look at that page. Well, don't you think, though, that if, if they were going to make a change, they would have done it already with, with the last game of the season or being played, especially like we talked about with recruiting? I think it's kind of late in the game at this point, unless you have a guy that you know that you're going to say, hey, we're putting this guy in right now. 
I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I would be surprised if it changes. I, it was kind of on the fence whether it was going to happen at the end of the year, but I think you're a couple of days past the window to do it if you're going to do it. Um, so, I mean, I think you get one more year, maybe a full year out of Jake Spavadol if things go right next year, um, and then try to figure it out from there. Uh our, our final game that we're going to talk about before we move on to the Sunbelt Conference Championship and, and, the, and the game Georgia Southern and App State. Listen, we're talking with Craig Malonson and Colin Lacey of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Georgia State hosting Troy. It was one of those things that, you know, we've t- I think I've mentioned it to you, but I always mention it a lot. Uh, you know, if you want to win your next game, fire your coach, and usually the team responds. Georgia Southern did it uh, this year, earlier this year. But... <sighs> I still think that 37 to 10 is a little surprising to me with, 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 uh, with Georgia state over Troy. I know, I know they're playing at Troy at, at Georgia Southern, but still. Yeah. I mean, I was really pulling for Troy in this one. I was pulling for South Alabama, just from the standpoint of the conference with both of them losing coming up one win short of bowl eligibility. Exactly. Now you only have four bowl eligible teams in the Sunbelt conference. And so while it's good to have, the top of the conference be as strong as it is with App State, Coastal, and Louisiana. You've got to, if you're the Sunbelt Conference, and I think this is where the Southern Miss, the JMU, the all the new teams coming into the league really help bolster it, is especially in the Western side, you've got Louisiana at 11-1 and one and really dominating what the Western side is. And then the next closest team is Texas State at 3-5. and five. South Alabama, the only potentially bowl eligible team in that group on the western side in the east you've got app and coastal with 10 wins georgia state comes up with seven wins six of them in conference but you were hoping that troy would be able to get you to five bowl eligible teams you were hoping south alabama if troy and south al that would get you to six but with both of them losing the last game you come up with just four and i don't know the last time that the Sun Belt only had four bowl eligible teams and have to go back and look at it but Especially, with five, league. I was just gonna say, especially with 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 five bowl tie-ins, you kind of want to fill those. I know in the past that we've had six six eligible teams uh, a couple times, so that was disappointing. Yeah, so I mean, you would hope to see those games, and not just because it's against Georgia State, that'd just be an added bonus. But yeah. to be to be able to get Troy Bowl eligible, I think would have been really good for the conference, especially with kind of the buzz with Chip Lindsey departing we mentioned the arkansas state attendance at, at 31 1 6 or something like that and that's concession workers at some stadium but do you really believe there was thirteen thousand eight hundred seventy-five in atlanta that day no i say move the comma one to the left <laughs> so 1387 or 3800 I believe 1,387, a lot more than 13,000, whatever it was. 875. Okay. Uh, Well, all right, we're going to leave that alone. Uh, You could add up the whole attendance for the year, and it might not get to 13,000 in six games. I'm sorry. I just remember our last stadium workers. Yeah. Oh, which there are not many of them there because no, that's true. I mean, we wandered through the stadium trying to find the radio booth. I mean, we I, we almost walked that whole damn stadium. The, Did you find the, the foul poles? Uh, I don't think so. I don't remember. 
Uh, Next I year, okay. I'm gonna have to look. I'm going off on a tangent here. That's okay. That, I love this. So, <laughs> because I grew up a huge Braves fan. Yep. So walking in and sitting in the Pete Van Waren broadcast booth was really cool to me. And the first year we went there, I went around and I explored the whole bowels of that stadium. I went through everything. Went through the Braves locker room. I sat in Brian Snitker's office, and so I'm going out towards the what used to be the Braves bullpen in right field past the second base bleachers. And the bullpen is still intact. It's grown up. There's a bunch of weeds in it, but the bullpen is still intact. There's still a mound. There's still a plate. It's awesome. You go back and you can go through there. Well, we're walking back. Well, as you are walking underneath the second base bleachers, I see this big yellow thing. I'm like, what is that? The foul pole is still sitting behind the second base bleachers. It, it goes all the way up? No, no, no. It's not up. It's laying on the ground. Oh, no. I didn't. My back was killing me that day. We walked around, all, and then finally I took a seat. I said, you guys call me and tell me where the damn booth. We, we passed probably 20 workers, and none of them knew where the radio booth was. So, but. Yeah, uh, sounds about right. It, it's like, oh, I don't know. And I'm on it. So, but, oh, man, you didn't ask to take that home? put that up you know like one oh, of the doctors. trust me if i'd have had my truck it might have been home <laughs> I, but no next year maybe it'll be a week where we're off and i can come up there and you and i can just go explore that stadium i would love that uh, that would be i had a lot of fun with it yeah oh that would be that would that would be very cool if you guys are off that week that 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 uh that 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 we play up there oh that would you be know fun I'd be there that would be fun that was uh, that was the I might COVID even wear year. Braves jersey. Did the Braves win the World Series? Oh yeah, I know. I'm just messing with you. I uh, now we just need Freddie Freeman back. Oh man, I, we're gonna have to have a baseball talk later on as well because I'm not a Braves fan. I mean, I could not have asked for two teams that I dislike more in the Braves and the Astros. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that could have been worse would have been. Uh, uh, and I, and I really didn't realize how much I hated the Brewers until I, till I saw, uh, ring of honor and Bud Selig's name up there. And I'm going like, Oh my God, let me throw up. You're not a Selig fan. Man, he, do we really want to go into that right now? We've, we've gone crazy off tangent here, but I, I no, I'm not a Bud Manfred. Um, well, but him and, Bart Giamani, who blah, 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 and this, that, and the other. And uh, I just, uh, Russ Eisenstein with Ohio University goes, man, you really need to re read the book on uh, uh, Bud Selig's book on the, on, the, on the Braves, on the Brewers. And I said, I said, uh, he goes, it might change your mind on some things. I said, uh, probably not, but I did buy the book. I did buy the book. It is here in the house now. So it's some, before baseball season starts, I will have read the book. And I'm gonna have uh, uh, Russ on to talk about it. We can talk about it too if you want. But no, I, I'm not. Bud Selig. Uh, we were out in Seattle when the pilots were there. They were there for one year. Bud Selig bought them and moved them away from uh, Seattle to the Brewers. And then there's so many reasons I hate Bud Selig, and, and too many to go into on this one because uh, we could do a whole show on the why we hate Bud Selig. But so never mind. All right, we're gonna take our first break. <laughs> I'm just babbling like some idiot here for the last 20 minutes but 
you're listening to We're Talking with Craig Melanson and Colin Lacey of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Welcome back in to We're Talking, Craig Melanson and Colin Lacey. Well, Colin, let's talk football after my little rant about Bud Selick and even off the air, uh, the name for the new podcast uh, that I won't, I won't <laughs> say it right now, but... Uh, uh, I think you could lump La Tech into that podcast too. Oh yeah, we could. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it would be one of the uh, yeah. Uh, Bud Bud Selick is a piece of shit. Prove me wrong podcast. And Louisiana <laughs> Tech is a, a turd on the bottom of your foot and stuck and can't get it off. Podcast. Prove me wrong. It's uh, it's too. I mean they, that that would be the perfect AD for Louisiana Tech because I could really just. <laughs> hate them so much more and i'm not I, and hate's a very strong word i'm talking sports hatred not hate like want to p- punch although i wouldn't mind punching bud Selick in the face sometimes but i'm not, i'm i'm a lover not a fighter so it's uh i've all right we've got to get back on track because this this is this is worse than the than the horn the blood's at, at starting Georgia. to boil oh my gosh you got me all riled up it's uh 10 10 20 in the morning here and I can't start drinking because as my work email just popped up, I've got a project I got to work on. So uh, it's too early to start drinking. And uh, oh, that's too early case. Too early, probably to take a nap, but I'll hit one in the afternoon. Then I can start day drinking. No. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, we went through that. Let's go. All right. So App State hosting Georgia Southern. Uh, was kind of hoping rivalry game kind of hoping you guys would uh go up there maybe beat them up a little bit probably not going to win the game but thought maybe a little bit closer but at the same time seven to nothing at halftime was this your typical georgia southern app state game or was this something a little different you know with 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 you guys switching coaches and all that no, man, I think it was still your typical georgia southern app state when both teams came on the field for pregame warm-up about hour and a half, two hours out from game time, there was a dust up and it's exactly what you expected from these two. And so at seven, nothing at halftime, you thought, okay, Georgia Southern's in this. It was supposed to be a runaway for Appalachian state, but this is one of those that you throw the records out the window and they don't really matter. And Georgia Southern is able to cut it to a four point game with a field goal. And then everything really changed when Jalen Virgil for the second consecutive year takes a kickoff return for a touchdown this one 97 yards and it really what swung the momentum back for Appalachian State and then it was time for App State to do what App State was supposed to be doing the entire time they scored 10 points in each the third and the fourth quarters and Georgia Southern wasn't able to do anything the biggest surprise for this one was Georgia Southern and Appalachian State both held each other under 100 yards rushing for the first time in this series for an App State team that was it's always been predicated on the stretch play for Georgia Southern. We've talked about their running prowess throughout the history. App State and Georgia Southern have never held both teams under 100 yards in the entire 37 games that they've played each other. And But Georgia Southern shut down the App State rushing attack. The bleeding rusher for App State was somebody that came in in garbage time in the last drive. He only played one drive throughout that game. But Castle ends up with 31 yards, and that's App State's leading rusher. Georgia Southern's leading rusher was Jalen White with 38 yards. And so the running attack was not happening. And 
Chase Bryce, he ends up 12 of 24 for 235 yards and two intercept or two touchdowns. Should have had a couple of interceptions. There was a couple of balls that underthrown, and a lot of it had to do with the wind that was going in the face of Bryce. But a couple of them that were underthrown, one of them I can remember underthrown into double coverage. And Corey Sutton comes in and almost parts the waters of the two Georgia Southern defenders to come back to the ball and make the catch for a big game. And so it was a little bit misleading and not exactly the way that 235 yards passing is supposed to look. But at the end of the day, he did what he did and it ends up being a 27-3 victory for App State. Well, the four sacks uh, by by uh, App State against uh, Georgia Southern was that just I mean was that blown blocking assignments or were, were was 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 App State bigger on the defensive line? I guess is the question. Um, a little bit of both. I mean, their defensive front was really good. They've always got really big, really nasty defensive linemen, and so being able to get to the quarterback as much as they were, and you're if you're Georgia Southern, you're dealing with a third string quarterback and Connor Sigelski that four weeks ago was still on, wasn't able to play because of an off season shoulder injury. Ah. And so he's playing his second game. The two games that you play in your career are BYU number 14 in the country and then Appalachian state. So welcome to college football, son. And so it's a little bit of both. It was really good defensive line play. Offensive line could have been a little bit better for Georgia Southern. And then you've got an inexperienced quarterback that, some of those that you would have liked to seen him just throw away before the pressure got to him, but it's kind of the growing pains you go through. Well, I think that's what Levi Lewis does uh, a good job of not taking many yeah. sacks. And when, when, and he's able to get the ball, uh, get rid of the ball and at least get, get it out of there. Uh, but back to your point on the interceptions and thing. Uh, I had a coach tell me one time, he goes, there's a reason these guys are playing defense and they're not receivers, you know, type of team. And no doubt. So, but uh, uh, anything different though? What you've um, I so you I know you watched the uh, Cajuns App State game uh, earlier on the, in the year when when App State came in the Cajun field. Anything different that you saw from uh, what might have happened early on? Did or was it those things? I guess. I guess what I'm trying to say is how was apps. Uh, well, I, 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 let me let me backtrack a little bit. You talked about the the return for the touchdown. I think that's what happened to us three years ago. I think it was in the in or two years ago in the championship game. You know, we let let the opening kickoff. I think go ninety eight yards. It wasn't quite a touchdown, and we had some other things. That, but that's how App State jumped out and just punched us in the face. But um, was there anything on the offensive side that you saw that you would say that wasn't vanilla? that App State did a little different than that they normally do? Or was it one of those things that they were trying to keep it simple because they didn't want to show Cajuns anything new for the next game, I guess? No, they had a reverse pass or a double reverse pass, I guess, that was not executed anywhere close to where they were supposed to. It ended up being a botched play, but there wasn't anything crazy. I mean, App State's not one that really – goes for a lot of the trickery the biggest thing that i saw was chase bryce and not i was less than impressed with chase bryce seeing him early in the year and seeing him on tv i was more impressed 
outside of the Georgia Southern game. And I think he's regressed a little bit, to be completely honest with you, throughout the year. But I was I was just not impressed with with him and being able to control the offense the way and everything we've heard is he is all about the deep ball and he throws the deep ball a lot better than Taylor Lamb and Zach Thomas for Appalachian State. But the deep balls that he tried were really underthrown. And again, if Georgia Southern DBs turn around and look for the ball instead of playing the player, you're probably looking at two, maybe three interceptions. And it's something that Louisiana does pretty well with of the secondary being able to adjust to what the ball is and not necessarily playing the player. So in my mind, this is, I'm a heavy favorite on Louisiana. I know the initial line came out with app state as a three point favorite. I don't know where it is now. I'll have to look and see, but it, uh, it's still got app at a three point favorite, which I don't get by any way, shape and form. But, uh, to me, this is a heavy Louisiana favorite for me. G, uh, I see where uh, Chase was. Uh, Chase Bryce was sacked twice. Were you guys getting pressure on him? Because that's where I think the key is to stopping App State is the pressure, and that's what the Cajuns did well in in their first matchup against App State. Um, you know, it's one of those things that I think happens. And um, I guess my question is: Do you think that did you guys get pressure on him? Or was that were those just two anomalies there? Yeah, we got pressure on them. Um, the biggest thing that App State likes to do, and they got called for it once, probably could have been called for it maybe every play, was chop blocking, especially with the tight end. There was one time where Gibbs, the tight end, went high. Their right tackle went low. Anytime there's a play on the perimeter, when the tight end is involved, you're probably looking at a chop block that could be called. It's just a matter of how it's going to be called throughout the day. Georgia Southern got one early, but that was the last time you saw of it. And so you're going to have to look for that and be able to adapt to that. But Georgia Southern did a good job of getting pressure on Chase Bryce and forced him to try to out route probably three or four times and overthrew it every time because he has an eagle in his face. And so I think that's going to be a place where Louisiana is going to be able to thrive is getting pressure, whether it's just the, defensive line or bringing in a linebacker for a blitz i think it's something that louisiana could really rattle him especially early in the game i just find this this whole game and, and i know it's part of it is because uh y'all had oh that's the wrong that's from what is this that's oh that's from two um, i'm going back to here sorry um I just find it very interesting, you know, only 235 yards passing and 94 yards rushing. But I know a lot of that has to do with uh, 46 rushing attempts by Georgia Southern, 31 rushing attempts by uh, App State. So you're not going to get a whole lot of yardage where, where where that clock continues to move, I guess. So I'm just yeah, trying to man. figure this whole thing out because Vegas is very, very, r- rarely wrong, but at the same time, the Cajuns, have shown that uh, they like to prove uh, Vegas wrong when they're when they're underdogs. Yeah, and I know that Chase Bryce going into last week was the leader in the Sun Belt and passing yards. Nate Noel was the leading rusher, but Georgia Southern shut Nate Noel down. Uh, it was had no 
semblance of trying to get the running game going for Appalachian State. And I think it's something that Louisiana, very similar, and I know defensive coordinator at Louisiana and Scott Sloan, good friends, and so I know there's a good scout coming his way with Scott Sloan going up against Appalachian State up in Boone the last couple of years and spend his time up at App State going up against that offense. But I don't, again, a three-point favor for Appalachian State, good for them. I don't see it by any way, shape, or form, especially with the off the field, what could be distractions, but I 100% believe that with Billy Napier coaching possibly his last game for Louisiana before going to Florida, you've got Levi Lewis's. I know he's got a bowl game, but last Sunbelt Conference game, there are so many things that go the way for Louisiana and just rally around Coach Napier, rally around Levi Lewis, rally around the rest of these seniors, because this is what Coach Napier has talked about coming back, setting his program to do, win Sunbelt Conference championships, and being able to put them at the top of the conference, and this is exactly what you're trying to do. It's it's one, like you said, I think I there were some people that didn't like the announcement coming out when it did, but I thought uh, Coach Napier's announcement on Sunday was the perfect time to announce announce yeah. it because it gives them the full week. You didn't want to come out Thursday afternoon or something or Friday morning or even Wednesday for that matter. I thought the announcement yeah. timing was perfect. I think it was perfectly played. I agree with you. I think Levi has been undervalued not only by the Cajun uh, fans, but also by the, the Sunbelt Conference, other football teams by – you know, I mean, last year, I don't think Levi, was, I think Levi was honorable mention, but we, you know, we were again, 10 and yeah, one or something like crazy. that. So, uh, and, and, and don't get me wrong. There were some good, there, there've been some co- good quarterbacks that have put up some numbers, but at the same time, all Levi Lewis has done is win while putting yeah. up, you know, completing 60% of his passes. And quite honestly, I would say a third of his passes that were incompletions were balls that were thrown away so he wouldn't take a sack or, or things like that. So No, and we've talked about it, you and I, and then we've talked it around here at Georgia Southern. Levi Lewis is by far the most underrated player in the Sunbelt Conference, and I absolutely love him, love the way he carries himself, love the way he plays, and would love to have him at Georgia Southern, I can tell you that. But what he brings to this team between the leadership off the field, the way he carries himself, all of that combined – and then you put together how smart he is on the football field. He might be the smartest quarterback in the G5. Just put it out there. He is so smart with the football. Like you said, a third of his incompletions are probably him throwing it away in a conscious effort to not get sacked, to not take a loss. To He is so smart with the football, is so good at what he does, knows how to run Billy Napier's offense, and does it so well. Well, I heard a story this weekend about uh, – um of Levi Lewis, that he's not only the first one in the meeting, in the meetings, he's in every meeting. I mean, the offensive line meeting, he's the last one to leave. He, he takes notes. Uh, He's probably the most prepared quarterback that, that we've seen in a long time. And uh, I can tell you one thing, coach Napier has mentioned it, that he, that Levi has made him a better coach. And I can tell you the embrace on senior day was long i mean it was there was a hug there from coach napier to levi i think there's a a true admiration for from both to each other and i think they were both it, it was the perfect storm i don't know that levi stays here 
without a Billy Napier, quite honestly. No, and that's somebody that once Coach Napier gets down to Florida, if Levi is not looking to go to the next level as far as playing football, I could 100% see him going to Florida as a GA, as a position coach for Coach Napier, just as smart as he is and how much he brings to the table, whether it's next year or down the road. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you there. So let's turn back to the championship game. What do the Cajuns need to do, in your opinion, to beat App State offensively first? I think offensively, what you've got to do is stay on track. App State is a team that has a lot of tackles for loss, one of the top teams in the country at tackles for loss, but you've got to stay on track, can't get behind the chains. And it's something that Louisiana has done a really good job of, especially the last few weeks, being able to stay in front of it and be able to get do what you need to do, not be predicated on what App State shows you, doing what you do when you want to do it. Um. What about? I'm just looking at the this the, the last game we played. They they had um, they had eight tackles for a loss against us. Uh, two of them were sacks. So, uh, but we also, you know, we had we had 246 yards rushing. So if if you're gonna, I'll, I'll take uh, eight losses, uh, eight eight tackles for losses if I can get 246 yards rushing uh, all day long. Yeah, so. I think you've got to establish the run game early, and that will open up the short passes for Levi to complete and open up even more. I think since the first time that we saw uh, the, the game played, too, Levi is running the ball more and taking that option there. And I think Coach Napier is also calling more plays for Levi to run with quarterback draws and things like that. So I, th- I think it's, it's, it's a little different. App State knows that. Uh, they're coming into Cajun Field. So defensive side of the ball, though, what I know what I think, but what do you think is the key to the Cajuns victory there on the defensive side of the ball? You've got to do a lot like Georgia Southern did. You've got to shut down the running attack for App State. They've been really good the last few years with that stretch play, but you've got to shut down the rushing attack for App State because App State is not a team, especially going up a defense and a secondary like Louisiana has, they're not going to beat you through the air. It's just not going to happen. And so if you establish the dominance on the rushing attack, then I think it's a, a win all day for Louisiana. Well, I was going to say, and, and what, actually the numbers aren't on here. Uh, oh, that's because I'm on the wrong one. We only had, uh, I was going to say pressure on uh, Chase Bryce, but at the same time I'm looking at it, we only had uh we had two sacks and only one other tackle for a loss, which is not uh, not a good thing. I, if, if you'd have told me we we won the game by what we won the game by, uh, forty one to thirteen, and we only had two sacks and one other tackle for a loss, I would have said no way. The score is wrong or something's wrong there. So, uh, and I think we did take away like like you, like you said the uh, the you know they had seventy eight yards rushing, you know, yeah. uh, so that that's why you're on because you know you're the man. And you know, tell me what I need to know instead of what I think I know, because I've been wrong with every scenario almost this year. So that's why I'm not making any predictions. Is not going to beat Louisiana through the air. That much I can tell you. Yeah. So the weather's going to be perfect. It's going to be Chamber of Commerce weather, weather here uh, at Cajun Field. 75 uh, sunshine, only a, 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 a about a 10% chance of rain for the day. 
I don't know about game time. I'm not going to look it up because it's it's still we're still a little ways away from that. But uh, Colin, any last words of wisdom or anything? Kind of we'll get together next week and kind of wrap it up, and maybe by that time we'll know where the teams are playing in bowls, and we can take a quick look and we'll do a deeper dive later on, uh, and then uh, hopefully hopefully after that if you've got some times we can we can start talking basketball uh it we talked a little bit off air so far not a uh stellar moment for the uh sunbelt conference in basketball yet so but i have not looked no. at it deep no i i hadn't been surprised by anybody in the sunbelt as far as basketball but wish we could be down there at uh at louisiana to take in the conference championship game i know it's going to be a uh, a rocking atmosphere down at cajun field well, appreciate it, brother. Uh, always good to talk to you. Um, ha uh, have a good game. Good luck to, to you guys. Moorhead State tonight in basketball for the Moorhead State tonight. Okay, I know you're going to be in the uh, in in the studio for Danny. So, uh, best wishes to Danny and the group up there. Um, this is going to be a fun game. I think uh, I'm not making any prediction. I was going to say something. But I'm not making it because. I'm always wrong, and I don't want to say anything, so to jinx us. Uh, I'll go ahead and say it. Cajuns win. All right. Colin Lacey, you heard it from the man. So uh, Colin Lacey from the Georgia Southern Sports Network, and I'm Craig Malonson from We're Talking. Thanks for listening. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it. Share it. Put it in your podcast. Broadcast it or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.